The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at citylifetc.org. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. Our uh, sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, um, starting with um, chapter 19, verse 30, and going through 20, verse 16. So if you would, read along with me as I read God's Word. But, to many, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, allow your word to permeate our lives. Lord, I pray that you would speak through my, my words this morning, that you and your truth would press through whatever isn't meant to be heard, whatever mistakes I may make, Um, and that we as a people would be shaped and molded by the reality of your work in the midst of our lives. And so as we encounter your word today, uh, we ask you to be here with us, and we pray all this 
In Jesus' name, amen. This is new. I'm not usually up here in this particular capacity. Um, For those of you who don't know me, as I try to adjust the stand here a little bit, uh, my name is Paul Clemens. I am one of the elders here, and it is my privilege to be able to preach this morning, to bring God's Word to us. And as I do that, since I haven't done that here at City Life before, I'd like to introduce myself to you a little bit. I grew up in Iowa. And just like most of you probably did growing up, I thought I was pretty, pretty normal. I generally looked, acted, and sounded like the people around me. I fit in. And then I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and opened my mouth. Uh, at that point, I realized how different I was, or at least how different I sounded, um, Almost immediately, my students, I'm a teacher, um, my students made fun of me for slipping an L into the word both. And then I turned right back around and gave them a hard time for turning the pronged eating utensil into a two-syllable word. Fall work. (laughs) And, you know, everything was Coke. Everything was Coke. And it took me a while to get used to a student asking what they made on a test. Mr. Clemens, what on mic on that test? (laughs) Then I moved to Boston. (laughs) Seriously. I had started to say y'all and picked up a little bit of a drawl. But now people were drinking soda and talking about going to see the Red Sox at Fenway Park. And they were going to places like Portsmouth and Worcester and, and Arlington. And my wife, Julia, her name had an R at the end of it now. And as a teacher, I often heard my students talking about the grade that they earned. And now we live in Minnesota. And many of the stereotypes are true. <laughs> at least to a point. The thing on the top of the building, it's a roof. The O's are a little longer. People are drinking pop. There's something called duck, duck, gray duck. And, and my students are asking me what they got on the test. Um, but here's the deal. I, I realize that no matter where we are and what differences we may have, how different we may sound, we all have some of the same tendencies. Students all, wherever they are, want to get what they deserve for their efforts. We all do, don't we? Whether you make a grade, earn a grade, or get a grade on a test, you do it. You deserve whatever the result is. Deep down, we want the results to match the effort and the work that we have done. And we want others to get what they deserve for the work they have or haven't done. It's the way things are. We expect it. Yet today, we encounter Jesus flipping things upside down again in another parable that makes us think about the preconceptions that his followers have. 
And he shows us unexpected generosity. Unexpected generosity. And today I'd like to take a look at how this is all unexpected and then where we see generosity and then discuss the response to this unexpected generosity. So first let's talk about how it's unexpected. We expect things to follow particular patterns, known courses of action, typical behaviors. But here in this passage and all throughout Matthew's gospel, we encounter the upside-down, paradoxical nature of the kingdom. In the immediate context, this parable comes on the heels of Jesus' conversation with a rich young man and the difficulty for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, which Brandon Hahn preached about a couple weeks ago. And earlier in Matthew, if you remember, we've been studying Matthew for a long time. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. This is what you expect, but this is how it's going to be. Unexpected. And in this passage, the unexpected nature of the kingdom is even highlighted in Matthew's structure. Maybe it's because I'm a math teacher, uh, but I like patterns. And I'd like to take a minute to show you the pattern and the structure that Matthew is using here to reinforce the message of Jesus in this parable. So I'd actually like to invite you to take out a pen or a pencil if you have one and your order of worship and mark a couple of things up with me. So take a minute. Look with me at the beginning of this passage. Chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Circle it or underline it. And then move your eyes down the page at the end of the passage. Chapter 20, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. Do the same with that. Bookending this passage is the saying that indicates something is different than what would be expected. And on top of that, even the order is reversed. Did you see that? At the beginning, the first will be last, and the last first. And then at the end, the last will be first, and the first last. Even more, though, look with me at verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Underline that. Right there. Smack dab in the middle of the passage, seven verses after it was stated at the beginning, seven verses before it's stated at the end, the central idea is right there for us to see. And while we're talking about it, let me highlight just a couple other things about this structure. In verses one through seven, 
we see the master going out, calling workers to work. Then in verses 9 through 15, we see the workers being called in from their work. The literary structure is just fascinating. And even on a more granular level, look at verse 3. And whatever is right, I will give to you. And then look down at verse 13. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. The the structure that Matthew is employing here is just serving to emphasize and reemphasize the big idea of what he's talking about. And that's this idea that the first will be last and the last will be first, or the last will be first and the first will be last, whichever the order. It's stated at the beginning, it's stated at the end, and it builds and it builds and it builds, and right here in the center, beginning with the first, going to the last. Which begs the question, what is Jesus trying to say? Well, there have been various interpretations of what is meant by that phrase in this context. Some have suggested that Jesus is referring to the Jews and the Gentiles, a common theme in Matthew. It would be unexpected for the Gentiles to be invited into the kingdom. Others have suggested that because of the immediate context, it's referring to the rich and those who give up everything. Um, Still others have considered it to refer to the first ones to follow Jesus, the disciples, and those who would come later. And some have even supposed it to be referencing legalistic Pharisees in contrast with the sinners and tax collectors who Jesus engages regularly. And actually, there's no universally held interpretation And all of them may actually be represented here in some way. Uh, Matthew's emphasis could be on any one of those things. However, one thing is certain. At the center of all of this, Jesus is saying, it's not the way you think it's going to be. The key idea about this phrase is that Jesus is turning things upside down. He's not doing what you would think. It's unexpected. This entire section, going back to the beginning of um, the uh, discussion about the rich young man, this entire section precedes or is, is preceded or begins with, what must I do? the question posed by the rich young man. What must I do? And our passage today is followed by yet another example of Jesus talking about His coming death and resurrection. It's about Jesus saying, come on guys. It's actually not at all about what you can do. It's about what I'm going to do. And it's going to blow your mind. We see that this is unexpected. So, on the one hand, we see 
even by Matthew's structure and by what Jesus is saying here and the story that he's telling, that all of this in some way is unexpected. But we also see that it's generosity. We, we first see the generosity of the vineyard owner in hiring workers for his vineyard. And you might be thinking, how is that generous? He's just hiring people to work. Well, let's think about these laborers for a minute. The workers here um, that are discussed in this, in this parable were to work in the vineyard were probably day laborers. People who didn't have regular work. You know, they weren't hired hands who were there day in and day out working for a master. They were dependent day to day on somebody coming and being willing to invite them to work for them on that particular day. In this way, even you know, bond servants or slaves were probably better off in that they knew that they had work for the day, and they knew where their next meal was coming from. But these workers gathered in the marketplace in the morning, hoping, wanting someone to hire them to work. And so the vineyard owner goes out at the beginning of the day and discusses terms with the workers. He'll hire them to work in his vineyard for the day, and their compensation would be a denarius, a typical daily wage. Nothing terribly generous about that. Just a regular working agreement. However, it doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just hire people at the beginning of the day and say, here, go work and I'll pay you a denarius. In all likelihood, any experienced vineyard owner would have known how much work he needed for the day. And he would have hired it all right at the beginning of the day. But here we see that the vineyard owner goes out again at the third, sixth, and ninth hours, the equivalent of nine o'clock, noon, and three o'clock. And the fact that he's hiring more workers, when he almost certainly had already hired enough workers for the day's work, demonstrates generosity. He's willing to pay these additional workers something for their partial day of work and thereby meets their needs even if he doesn't have to. That's generous. And then we read about the last workers hired, the 11th hour workers, the 5 o'clock guys. Read with me starting in verse 6. And about the 11th hour he went out and found others standing And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. Now here, idle doesn't mean lazy. Rather, it means without work. It's not like these people didn't want to work. In fact, they wanted to work, but everyone else passed over them. Like kickball in elementary school. It's likely that these workers were undesirable for some reason. If they were there at the 11th hour, it's likely they'd been passed over repeatedly and repeatedly for other workers. Yet here they are, the undesirables, 
being hired for the last hour of the day. And in hiring these workers, the vineyard owner is demonstrating extreme generosity. What were they going to do? Work for an hour? By the time they got there, it was probably going to be about time to pack up. And we haven't even talked about the wages yet. He, he exercised generosity just in hiring these people that he didn't need to hire. The vineyard owner demonstrated generosity not only in hiring, but also in paying the workers. And that's probably what you noticed as much as anything when we read the passage. Look with me at verse 9. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now that's unexpected generosity. These workers, likely undesirable, worked the last hour of the day, probably in the cool of the day when there may not have been much work left to do, and they got a full day's wage. Twelve times what would be expected. And he kept on paying, each of the workers in turn. Ninth hour laborers, a denarius for you. Generosity. Hired in the sixth hour, a denarius for you. That's generosity. Third hour workers, a denarius for you. Generosity. A denarius for you, a denarius for you. Everybody gets a denarius. Even those hired at the beginning of the day. A denarius. The wage they agreed to. The wage they were promised. But how do they respond? Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They're unimpressed by the generosity. In fact, they're frustrated by it. They just watched those who worked a lot less than them get paid just as much as them, and they're annoyed. Even angry. It's not fair. It's interesting, isn't it? They're not fundamentally upset with the wage they received. A denarius is a denarius. It's an honest day's wage. The amount itself wasn't really the issue. They're upset that others got the same amount for less work done. They're upset that they feel like they deserve more than the others. They're upset that others are being treated equal to them. They didn't deserve that, and I did. Who can relate? I can't. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Yes, but take what belongs to you and go. But I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. It's not fair. The Apostle Paul in Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Yes, but... Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you? Do you? Sounds familiar, huh? Anyone remember the prodigal son? More specifically, do you remember the older brother? Frustrated with the lavish celebration for the return of the younger? Is that you? I have to ask myself, is that me? In that parable, the older brother says, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I've earned it. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the, the fattened calf for him. He doesn't deserve it. And the father responds, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Why do you begrudge my unexpected generosity? Do you begrudge God's generosity? Do you begrudge God's generosity by wanting to earn it? Last week, Ross Haverhalls preached and, and talked about um, you know, the, the different wor- world religions that he encounters as a prison chaplain, and, and all of these religions focused on my ability to earn it, my ability to earn it, my ability to earn it. And how often do we function that way? Do you begrudge God's generosity because you want to earn it? Do you begrudge God's generosity by not wanting others to receive it? Do you begrudge God's generosity because deep down you think, I deserve it, and they don't? Like I said earlier, I'm I'm a math teacher. I teach high school students. Some are high achievers, some not so much. 
But my goal for all of them is that they learn the material and that they learn to think well. In terms of the material, some of them get it quickly and others it takes longer. And as a result of this, a number of years ago, I, I introduced a new policy in my math classes. Retakes. Yeah, retakes. You didn't do very well on the first test because you didn't know the material as well as you could have. Retake it. If you do better, your grade will reflect it because your grade reflects your learning, your mastery of the material. If it takes you two or three tries before you really get it, okay, it's going to be more work for you. But if you do the work, taking and retaking, taking and retaking, until you've mastered it, great. Well, some students loved it. And actually, some students despised it. You know the student who struggles to grasp the mathematical concepts quickly? He loved it. And he worked hard, retaking and learning, retaking and learning. And he turned that C into a B+. But you know that kid who just gets math? You know, the one who aces the test the first time without having to study much? She hated it. Her A was still an A. And you know the student who studied their tail off in order to get it the first time? He hated it too. His A- minus could get to an A, but no higher. For the students who didn't like it, it wasn't about their grade as much as it was about their comparison to the others. They wanted to earn it, and they didn't want others to get another chance at it. They wanted it to create a divide. They wanted it not just to show that they were better, but they were this much better. And retakes made it look like they weren't that much better than their classmates. Do we have the same attitude toward God's unexpected generosity? Do we begrudge him for it? Or do we realize we are in desperate need of it and cling to it? Today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's a time devoted to waiting. Waiting for the one whom the prophets foretold and waiting for him to come again. And though people were anxiously waiting the promised Messiah, nobody saw what was coming. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, the God of the universe coming down to us as a baby. Talk about unexpected generosity. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's unexpected generosity. 
unexpected generosity. Don't begrudge it. Don't think that you can earn it. And don't think that others don't deserve it and that you somehow do. Don't begrudge it. Cling to the unexpected generosity of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and your unexpected generosity. Help us to not begrudge the goodness of the gifts that you give to us or to others. Help us rather rejoice in the reality that you, because of your great love for us, came down as a baby to be with us, and more than that, to restore us to you by your death and resurrection. And you are now seated at the throne, and we wait for your return. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you give us in it. And we pray that in some way we would leave here today being changed by it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info at citylifetc.org if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.